Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Springer. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, another week. Jerry. Yeah, another week. It's uh, another week. It, 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 it does sometimes feel like a Groundhog Day. I mean, the last year. I mean, I can't believe it's March again. When, when I don't have to go in, like <laughs> doing a show, which for a bunch of months I wasn't doing. Honestly, I lose track of the day of the week it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the middle, is this That's a good thing? Yeah, it's you don't have a place to go. That really, you you lose your bearings. Casey, you, you don't have they... that trouble, do you, Casey? <laughs> you know, oh, <laughs> I gotta say, working I people. completely feel. I, I, well, I feel you, Jerry. Until I started uh, working like full time again, the first half of the pandemic, I truly did not know what day it was. It, yeah. yeah, you know. I only knew by the radio shows that I listened to. I knew what day Jack. I knew what day Jack Benny comes on. He comes on oh, Tuesdays. Oh man, so. great! Oh, he's the best. Oh. So. Yeah. Hey, by the Do way, you know that have... they said the? Oh, sorry, Gene. I was just going to throw in real quick. The average American gained twenty nine pounds Ooh. during. Oh, that's, interesting. Oh, I that too. that's interesting. <laughs> well, we okay. have uh, Casey Campbell with us. He's our music coordinator and a wonderful yeah, singer songwriter. Had him on last week. We got him to come back again this week. We're looking forward to hearing a song from him, as well as uh, a thought uh, for the week that Jerry has uh, always has. We look forward to those. Uh, and you mentioned the pandemic, and uh, it's hard not to reference it because it's it's been so a part of our lives for the last year, and now people are getting vaccinations and. We're beginning, as we said on the last episode, we're starting to see, we think, the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I read something the other day, and Jerry, you as a former mayor of the city of Cincinnati, a pretty significant size city, and you were a council member for years as well, so a policy setter. Megan, you work and have studied as well uh, human resources. I read something that kind of jarred me. And... And then I experienced it Saturday night. My wife and I went downtown for the first time in a year to this vintage bar, a uh, place called the Palm Court. And it's a vintage bar in oh. Cincinnati, and it's fantastic. The guy's got a jazz con- uh, trio going. So we went there. for the, We'd been vaccinated, and we're you know, a couple weeks or more, actually, out from our second shot. So we're uh, not feeling particularly emboldened, but a little safer. And check this out. We're walking through this I call it a business high rise in Cincinnati to get to this uh, from the parking lot, but all through the building. We didn't didn't have to go outside. And all of these internal retail stores, not all, many of them closed. Yeah. Shut down. A barber shop, uh, the headquarters of Cincinnati Magazine. I don't think the magazine stopped. I've written articles for them over the years, but they've uh, shut down their headquarters. And then I read an article. The pandemic, the year of the pandemic, is killing American cities. And the way it's doing it is in two ways. Number one, the payroll taxes. As people are working from home, my son and uh, daughter-in-law work for two big companies, uh, one local and one national, and they're working from home. And which means that they're not traveling to any city to go to a headquarters. So the cities are losing payroll taxes. The eateries that would be filled for lunch every day are not, they have no business. 
the barber shops were dudes who, you know, be executives would go get a haircut once a month in the barber shop. All of that is going away. Yeah. Has gone away for a year. And Jerry, as a council member or a mayor, you know, you remember about half your revenue came from payroll taxes because sure. people would work in the city and use the roads and the sure. traffic lights and ambulances and cops. And so they had to pay for that. So cities are facing this predicament of where's the revenue going to come from? And Megan is an HR person. Aren't you hearing, and I see it in popular media, newspapers, et cetera, that jobs, a lot of them aren't coming back. A lot of these companies are selling their headquarters and people are going to work from home. And I wonder, Megan, first I start because I was the manager of people. I ran schools for years. Can you trust workers who are working from, can you get as much out of them if they're working from home in their PJs uh, compared to them being right in front of you? Yep. 100%. If any, yes, I think that you absolutely can. I think if more than anything with the pandemic really put the fear of God in some businesses, because we learned that you don't have to be in the office. Um, The people that I have talked to other people that do consulting and things like that, what they're finding is if you give people the structure, if you know, which is expected of you, to run and make your lunch in the kitchen and take 20 minutes to go do that or take the dog out or whatever actually allows you to be much more productive. Um, and you feel like the autonomy is yours. You're you, one of the worst things in the world, the people that are very successful um, with the in business model in brick and mortar business model tend to be micromanagers. And they're the ones looking over your shoulder every five seconds. So those are the people that we're seeing. And those are the, the company types that we're seeing kind of struggle. The ones that have to have, the check-in meetings every other day and the micromanagement is to like what you're doing with every five minutes of your time. The ones that have allowed their employees to adjust, I think they're going to see that that's now that they've been, the employees have been given a taste of that. It's going to be very difficult, especially for an office setting to go back into an office every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very difficult. Um, but I mean, the brick and mortar stuff, I mean, retail's retail and that, and I've got friends that are hairstylists and all that kind of stuff. And like, we've seen, they're dropping like flies around here, unfortunately. That's the stuff, like those are the folks, you don't have the option. You have to be there. You have to be in person. And that's, like you said, that's where we're seeing the huge, huge hits. Jerry, what would you do uh, as a policymaker, as a city council member or a mayor, if you saw this happening and if you you know, had enough vision to look out into the future and say, hey, a lot of this isn't coming back. As Megan says, a lot of companies are figuring out they can be as efficient and and be leaner and meaner too if they sell the headquarters and get clear out of those downtown places. What do you do with a downtown? Well, uh, the first thing is to recognize that that's the issue. I mean, I think the cities now have to plan on the assumption that we're not going to be back to the way it was. You know, a significant change is coming. It's just like years ago when people moved off the farms and moved into the cities. What did it do to small town America? What did it do to rural America? So that this is, I think the answer will be uh, that cities have to become more residential and there'll be many forces pushing that to happen. Uh, the environment, uh, mass transit, just the ease if people can 
because the cities can still have, when the pandemic's over, still be great cultural centers, still be place where people want to gather. So I think rather than looking at office buildings, I know it's only going to mean something to the people who are listening to us from Cincinnati, but the what was once the Central Trust Tower and then became the PNC Tower, uh, that I found out last week that that building, which was what brought me to Cincinnati, that was my first job, my first day in Cincinnati, that was where I was in the law firm in that building. And it's now being turned into, it's no longer an office building, it's going to be condos. And I think that is when you're planning for the cities now, I think you have to plan on what will it be like? How do you make it a place where people wanna live? Not as it was 30 years ago, where it was an office building and then you went into the basement garage, got in your car, went in the interstate out to your suburban neighborhood and you never had to see the city. We're now gonna change. And I think the city is gonna start to become a magnet where people live, where people get their entertainment because since they're gonna be home doing their work, when they do socialize, wouldn't it be great to come to where the ball games are, to where the theater is, you know, to where the uh, music shows are, the concerts. Um, So I think there's a future for cities. It's just not going to be because, look, 30 years ago, the cities went in the wrong direction. How many cities at five o'clock in the afternoon are barren? And then you walk down. Yeah. And you walk downtown and it was scary because there was no one else on the street and you were frightened. I think people Mm -hmm. are going to really start moving back because it's going to be more exciting to live in that community. Uh, And you won't just be the only condo unit there. There'll be apartment houses and, you know, like parts of New York City are, which are, you know, those of people who grew up in New York City, they swear by it. They love it because they had neighborhoods. In the suburbs, you don't necessarily get a neighborhood, you know? You You know, it's interesting you should say all that because uh, we had that experience on Saturday night we saw places basically being boarded up. And on Sunday, we took a hike on a trail. And again, it's a Cincinnati reference, but all cities have the counterparts, what Jerry just talked about and what I'm going to describe. And that is a railroad track that runs through Cincinnati that became a rails to trails. That old railroad track becomes a trail. And it's called the Watson Way Trail. And it runs straight through the urban neighborhoods of Cincinnati. And we walked out on Sunday and it's increasing each year. They're adding more and more as they get funding. And it was bustling with people. And as you go through a neighborhood, and again, a Cincinnati reference, but all cities have these, a neighborhood called Oakley. <clears throat> and in that neighborhood, areas where Jerry uh, stores were being demolished and, and pushed away, hauled out because they're building condos. Yeah. So yeah. the buildings, the businesses are leaving, but the eateries will mm. be there. Oh, sure. So the eateries that are not bustling at lunchtime will become nighttime places to go out, you know, with your significant other and, and have some fun, have a meal, listen to music, whatever. So it's all right on your point. It's It looks like living is replacing working in these cities and Megan, you tend to think that a lot of the work is going to stay at home, right? Going forward. I think 
I think that it's going to be really hard to change the behaviors, especially when we know now that it can be done successfully. Yeah. And you make a good point about if you, if you empower people, they feel better about themselves, feel more adult. And if you give them some flexibility, they'll use it. If they're good people, if if people like you have hired the the good people, people who have integrity, character, you can, they'll do the job. Yeah, anyway, all right, so those are some of the uh, remnants of this uh, horrific pandemic, which, uh, mm. again, as we say, we hope we're coming out the other side. Uh, Jared, what uh, what struck you this week uh, that you can share some ideas with us on? Okay, um, well, it's the issue that won't go away. I mean, every time, with few exceptions, that a Republican gets into office, be it as a councilman, state representative, governor, congressman, senator, or president, by an apparent Pavlovian response, said Republican will inevitably introduce some motion or piece of legislation or executive order to block a woman from exercising her constitutional right to have an abortion. These politicians seek to find a way to work around the dictates of Roe versus Wade, or perhaps with the rightward slant of the Supreme Court to actually get this court to overturn this 1973 hallmark decision, which confirmed this woman's right to have an abortion. Virtually every Republican goes through this ritual to earn their bona fides with the base, with the right wing of their party, the Christian right would have you. Not because they really believe that abortion is murder, but the politics of their party demand it. Now, how can I say that, you ask? How do I know what they believe? Well, look at what they're proposing. Look at what Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson just signed into law last week. Indeed, pretty close to a carbon copy of what a number of other states, particularly in the South, are now doing or have already done. They passed laws in defiance of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision, passed laws outlawing abortion, even in cases of rape and incest, except to save the life of the mother. What's more, a doctor who performs the abortion will face a significant prison term consistent with the finding of homicide. But most significantly, and here's the point, there is no punishment for the woman having the abortion. I would argue that is proof that these politicians don't really believe it's murder and are passing such legislation merely to satisfy their base. In fact, not even most of the base base believes abortion is murder. Why do I say that? Think about it. If a woman hires a man to kill her husband, we all know she would be convicted and jailed for murder as much as the guy who pulled the trigger. Then why not the same for a woman who hires a doctor to abort her baby-to-be, her embryo? Most people would be outraged if we had laws imprisoning women, perhaps even a death sentence for those who have an abortion. We all know that because the truth is, even though a fetus is the beginning of a life, yes, that's when life begins, that's a scientific fact, it is not determinative of when a human being begins. 
because that, for that, is a philosophical question based on one's personal beliefs, values, perhaps even one's religion. As I often say on the religious playing field, Catholics believe life begins at conception, Protestants usually believe life begins at birth, and Jews believe life begins when the kids leave home. That, of course, that, of course, is not the issue. Life begins at conception. That's when cells divide, and eventually, yes, a human being will eventually be formed or created. But when that moment occurs, when you finally have a human being with all the attributes and consciousness and soul of one, that is a philosophical or religious question determined by our own beliefs, to which there are as many opinions as there are people, and we are each entitled to one. It is not science. It is an opinion, a belief. The First Amendment to our Constitution protects these opinions, and we are each allowed to choose our own based on our religious and philosophical views. And that includes women, even newly pregnant ones. That is what we mean by choice. And politicians who seek to deny that choice for purely political motives by raising the irrelevant issue of when does life begin instead of the one that matters, which is when does a human being begin, they relegate women to a status they would never impose on a man. That's the truth. And we all know it. Sadly, as we've learned over these past four years, truth doesn't often matter. Good, Jerry. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Wow. I figured all Megan right. would like it. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> you woman. <laughs> you guilty. Guilty. <laughs> guilty. <laughs> She's a witch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Again, this week we have our good friend Casey Campbell. Welcome back, Mr. Campbell. Casey. Thanks for having me. What do you uh what do you what do you have for us tonight? We had we had our hometown song last week. That's right. Uh this week I've got another uh brand new song for you guys. It's actually an instrumental uh from Buffalo Wobs and the Price Hill Hustle. The song was written by our mandolin player, Ooh, Mr. Scott Reisner. Nice. Um so it uh it features um our typical bass player, uh, Bill Baldock, based out of Nashville, Tennessee, features him on mandolin and guitar, uh, as well as Scotty on uh, banjo and mandolin. It's it's kind of a dueling instrumental Ooh. thing, and I make my I make my world debut on the upright bass Whoa, on the song. So right. yeah, so don't judge me <laughs> because I don't actually I don't actually play it. I just. I just plunked on it a little bit, but, but, uh, yeah, so it's just a fun little, uh, uh, tune, uh, it's still a working title. Actually. It's a brand new one. It's called, uh, Scotty's calling it Rudy cat. Rudy so cat. it's after his old buddy, Rudy. So. Go.
just yeah. a little little picking oh, and grinning, yeah, yeah, yeah. as they say. That's awesome. Very cool. That, that was Casey Campbell. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> no, I was you. just saying that's really uplifting. That, that, yeah. That's good. That's good stuff. Well, thank you. Casey Campbell yeah. with the Buffalo Wobs and Price Hill Hustle. So thank right. you, sir. Uh, tell us where we can check you, you out. Uh, online at pricehillhustle.com for that band. You can find all my other music at casey-campbell.com and uh, both bands you can find all over the internet and all the usual places, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Perfect. Thank you, Casey. We look forward to having you again sometime soon. Thank you. Yeah, good oh, to see you. And speaking of internet, we have a couple things here. We are the Jerry Springer Podcast. If you go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like us, let us know that you're out there. Let the computer overlords know that you're out there and that you are listening to us. Um, here's the deal. If you go online and you write a five-star review, there is a strong possibility the Jerry Springer would read your comment out loud. We can't promise that. Oh, hell, um, we'll put him yeah. on the show. But like I said, this is a great way to help support our show. And it's the only way uh, to let people know that you are listening and that we are out there and that we've got some stuff to say. So get on your computers, tell us that you like us, and we look forward to seeing you guys again. And we're going to have... Casey, take us out with one Mr. Jerry Springer on Down by the Riverside. Well, I'm gonna lay down my heavy load Down by the Riverside Down by the Riverside Way down, down by the Riverside I'm gonna lay down my heavy load, y'all Down by the Riverside Sit down by the Listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield down by.